grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Jo Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi, it's Jo Sparrow here. Just a word before we begin. This episode talks about the trauma that has been caused by the removal of Aboriginal children from their families. We recognise that this could be distressing to some listeners. However, we believe that these conversations need to be had to increase the understanding of the hurt and ongoing harm caused by these policies. To those those that were affected, we're sorry. A little bit of important background for this episode. The Stolen Generations refers to a period in Australia's history where Aboriginal children were removed from their families through government policies. This happened from the mid-1800s to the 1970s. In the 1860s, Victoria became the first state to pass laws authorising Aboriginal children to be removed from their parents. Similar policies were later adopted by other states and territories, and finally by the federal government in the 1900s. For about a century, thousands of Aboriginal children were systematically taken from their families, communities and culture. Many never found their way back. These children are known as the Stolen Generation Survivors or Stolen Children. These children were taken by police from their homes on their way to school. They were placed in more than 480 institutions, adopted or fostered by non-Indigenous people and were often subjected to abuse. The children were denied all access to their culture. They were not allowed to speak their language and they were punished if they did. The impacts of this are still being felt today. Currently, it is estimated there are more than 1,700 stolen generation survivors all over Australia. Which brings us to today's guest, a family genealogist who stumbled across his adoption via a DNA test at the age of 59. The father of five, grandfather of many and foster carer, is also a committed advocate for adopted people through his work as president of Adoptee Rights Australia. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, Peter Capello-Moore. I hope I said that right. It's wonderful to have you join us. Uh, oh, thank you. Capamolo, isn't it? Sorry. Capamola. Well, I really made a mess of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it took me a while to get my tongue around it as well. Yeah, um, you know, I was practicing this morning and everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, thank you so much for um, for inviting us on this morning. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really yeah, chuffed to be here. Oh, we're chuffed to have you. Um, Peter, you're what our community refers to as a late discovery adoptee. And I just wondered if you might begin with your adoption story and if you could tell us about your childhood family and eventually how you later, much later, came to discover that you're adopted. Um, yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Western Sydney um, around Granville and 
Yeah, the, yeah, typical yeah family. Um, not yeah, not very wealthy. Um, yeah, financial battlers. Uh, they didn't have a car when when I was adopted. I my first journey was on the train. Um, in fact, they didn't even have a uh, have a cotter in for me. I, I spent my you know I don't know first weeks I guess in 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 the drawer of a of a chest of drawers. Um, they made a bed in there for us. So. Yeah, it wasn't the, the typical uh, narrative of ado- adopted to a uh, to, to a wealthy yeah couple. That wasn't the case. No, I uh, wasn't either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, and uh, four years later, they they had a biological child, a, a younger yeah uh, sibling, a, a, a daughter. So uh, I grew up with just the two of us. And yeah, you know, I was a big brother, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. When I was about fourteen, we we moved from there to a five-acre um, hobby farm, and so that was a bit of a change in life. And uh, I ended up as apprentice motor mechanic for a Ford dealership. Um, I you know, I loved mechanics, but I I didn't love the culture in that dealership, and I didn't I didn't really fit. And uh, to be honest, I spent the the last couple of years of uh, of that apprenticeship. Uh, I drank my way through that. So yeah, it was it was uh, a pretty uh, yeah torrid time. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So yeah, from there I became a exploration driller. You know, for, for gas and coal and sometimes water and and I, I met my wife about that time and. And I uh, got an opportunity to to head to the Hunter Valley as an underground coal miner, and uh, we moved moved up there. Um, found ourselves in a uh, very large farmhouse with twenty two external doors, and wow, two of, <laughs> two of us. We I had an old ambulance, and um, and we moved our possessions. I think we had a lounge, a fridge, and a um, a TV. I, I think that was it. We had a, a box for for a, for a coffee table, um, <laughs> but yeah, and yeah, uh, you know, from there we we end up with uh, five children, and uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, you know, life life always changes, and uh, yeah. So anyway, fast forward to well, I guess, guess fast forward to about two thousand and two. I think I got interested in genealogy um basically to help my mother-in-law who had been fostered out as a child a two-year-old um, when her mother died mm-hmm. and so she didn't understand you know she didn't know where her family came from and wasn't sure about the surnames and stuff and uh, within a week I found a family for her and uh, found a cousin and uh, and I thought oh, okay I'm pretty good at this <laughs> I should look at mine so I started researching my own uh, family history and uh, and end up with 13 and a half thousand people in my family tree wow. and I went to a number of family tree reunions interstate in Queensland um, around St George and um uh, Kil- the Kilcare is it Kilkey. Kilcoy. Oh, Kilcoy, yeah, yeah. Kilcoy, yeah. Yeah. Up there and um yeah, and uh, yeah, with the adoptive parents and they paraded me as the uh 
their son and related to all these people. Of course, as it turns out, I wasn't. And I, in fact, uh, had a headstone remade for the Irish convict ancestor and uh, put, put on his grave that we refurbished and uh, helped organise a reunion on Australia Day 2008. Again, not my ancestor. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in, in 2016, um, I was interested in my, my two oldest grandchildren have dark olive skin, and I was interested where that came from. And I you know, thought it, it all came from their father. And um, and we were watching TV one night, and they had an add-on for Ancestry Kits on special. And my wife said, go on, buy, buy three of them, one for me, one for, one for you, and one for our granddaughter, which we did. And so I got, got the results back in about September 2016. I did not understand DNA one iota. No. It's difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those who don't know that, when you you get a ancestry DNA back, and the screen on the left hand side of the screen is a pie chart with the description of your ethnicity. Back in 2016, they they had a heading above that pie chart which said "from thousands of years ago." So when I saw forty. I think 46% uh, Italian. I just thought thousands of years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gaelic's invaded Rome. Yeah. Might come from there somewhere. I, I, yeah. They, they don't have that heading any longer because it's obviously misleading. Mm. That uh, a, a percentage that high is very close. Yes. <laughs> very new. And anyway, I, on the other side, you'll have a link to the. DNA matches you have with other people who have done their DNA. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even understand that. And I didn't understand that that went from the closest to the most distant. I, I, I had no concept of that. I just knew there's my granddaughter and there's another, yeah, another match there, yeah, near my granddaughter. And um, very soon the woman who that match was, messaged me and she said I grew up in an, in an Italian family I don't look like my brothers and sisters when my after my father died when I was 11 year old in 1982 they teased me that I was adopted so I immediately felt empathetic for this woman and I determined that I would you know, help her find where she belonged in my family so we exchanged messages and emails and she told me about her family. I told her about mine. And I got to the point, I went, okay, it could be this cousin or that uncle, but which side of the family is it? So I decided without telling her, without telling anyone else, I, I gave two ancestry kits to my adopted parents for Christmas 2016. Um, now, they took a while before they did those tests, <laughs> surprisingly. And they basically did them in February of 2017. So I knew they took about six weeks to come back. So about the five-week mark in March, I decided to you know, look at the DNA, look at the tree. And then something 
stuck out. I realised that there was no names in my DNA matches or surnames that I recognised. I thought, that can't be right. So I looked at my wife's DNA and sure enough, there was surnames that I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. So the wheels are starting to turn and I always knew I was born at Salvation Army Bethesda Hospital at Marrickville in Sydney. And I Googled that many years before and all I got was an image of an old building. In desperation, I Googled again and all this stuff came up about forced adoption. Yeah, apologies. I'm going, yeah, hang on. This, this is more than a smoking gun. Yeah. Um, this is pretty obvious. So my first thought was, yeah, okay, I went in to the bedroom. My wife was in bed reading a book and I sat on the end of the bed and I said, I'm adopted. And she said, get out of here. No, you're not. I went, yeah, you look at this. And I showed her and uh, she was convinced as well. And, uh, yeah, and then I thought about this forced adoption. I went, how come I don't know about this? I I, I watch the news I all the time. I'm an avid news watcher, but I, I can't remember ever seeing this before. So, um, yeah, that was the start of a, a roller coaster of emotions mm-hmm. of, um, and, and when I, you know, I I spoke to my you know, to this woman who by then I realized she was in fact my sister and mm-hmm. uh, and she she went into panic she went oh I, something wrong with my DNA I've, I've made this poor guy think he's adopted and she went off and got another ancestry DNA test done and sent it through through England to make sure it went to a different lab. And of course, it came back the same. So on my uh, ancestry DNA matches, there's two for her. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, then she said, "Well, you know, what's going on? You know, why 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 don't I look like my brother and sister? What's happening in my life? I, you know, is my father really my father? And you know, I promised her that I would um I, I would find the truth, and I realised that the only way to do that was to um to find my mother and so i sent away for the uh, adoption information and and while i was waiting for that to happen i i started to learn about dna and i looked for someone with some trees and anyone familiar with answers dna will realize that most people do it to find out whether they're a viking or not they aren't genealogists. They don't have trees that are publicly searchable. So only a small percentage have those. And I found some very distant cousins, seven for our eighth distance, uh, which is quite a long way away. And I was looking for a common ancestor in their trees. I figured that common ancestor would most likely be my common ancestor. And I found some and I settled on a name and I built a tree basically off their tree. I copied one of their trees and I put myself in as that core person as the ancestor. And I built the tree down like an umbrella mm-hmm. rather than up like you usually build a tree from yourself backwards. Well, I built the tree from backwards forward. To, and as I did that, I found more and more surnames through marriages, which were also in my DNA. So I was convinced I had the right tree yeah. and that my mother, when I found her, would fit in there somewhere. So long story short, I got quite frustrated very early 
after a month that I hadn't had any heard any results back. And I rang the organisation that I was um, contracted to do that, I guess, and they told me it was going to take seven or eight months. And uh, I said, no, nah, I'm not waiting that long. And I, I spoke to docs at the time directly and I had no problem with docs because I and foster caring, so it didn't face me at all to pick up the phone to him and uh, found a very nice lady who said, if you can get a medical certificate that says that you're, um, if, you know, you're not able to function, which I wasn't, um, we might be able to speed things up a little bit. Yeah. And they told me I was going to get a, a package of information. So when that package arrived a week later, I, that was quite a big package. I uh, I looked at it in the morning before work and I went, oh, where do I start? I'll look at it at lunchtime. At lunchtime, I had a look at it. I went, where do I start? I'll just quickly eat my lunch. I'll finish the job I'm doing and then I'll come back to the car park and I'll give myself plenty of time to have a look. Again, when I was looking at it after work in the car park, I was a bit daunted by how much information there was and I saw... a a plastic sleeve and when I pulled the sleeve out the adoption certificate was in it mm. and I immediately told my adopted sister who did not believe ancestry DNA at the time and said because she's a, a world-renowned professor of medicine she said I have friends who had professors of, of genetics and uh, and I'm sure they can do a DNA test between us so I had to call her first and say hold everything you know, I have, I have the adoptions to do it. Um, it's 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 here, and their names are on it. And uh, so she she immediately said, "Well, we need to do one more thing. We need to." I said, "What's that?" She said, "We need to tell mum and dad that you know." And she said, "Do you want to do it, or you want me to do it?" I went, "You can do it." <laughs> <laughs> which i think was the the, the correct answer yeah. and um, so they went and saw them on the day before mother's day 2017 mm -hmm. told them that i knew and they had arranged her and her husband to take them out for lunch on uh, mother's day and i was to arrive just prior to them, and I was running a little bit late as usual, so I was just prior to them getting there. And, yeah, I arrived, yeah, so prepared to walk on eggshells and with a bunch of flowers, and I was greeted at the door with, from the adoptive father, said, you saved our marriage. And then he proceeded to say, we burnt, your, burnt the, the papers when you're a teen because you're always ours. And, okay. And then I started to explain to him how I found out and what I'd gone through. And I had, you know, that, that afternoon when I, when I got that adoption certificate, I had... As soon as I got home, I Googled my mother's name and the ancestral name that I did, had settled on, and I immediately found uh, my oldest brother within a minute. Wow. 
Okay, look, before we go any further, I'm going to, I just, if you don't mind, I just want to mine into a couple of things that we've already talked about. Um, it must have been an incredible shock for you at the time. And then when you went and spoke to your adoptive parents about it, um, I guess what you got back was their perspective. Yep. How did you go about processing this information and what you were feeling at the time? Okay, well, you know, I, I guess I was, well, what just happened? You know, yeah. um, how did this happen? And, you know, the adoptive parents' um, DNA results came in about a week later. Mm. And they had arranged, they were going to call in a as, as it happens when the DNA came in, well, when the mother's DNA came in, you know, the adoptive mother's DNA came in. So we're expecting that, you know, it was all going to come out and you know, it could be traumatic and might have a heart attack or, you know, who knows. And, and I, I showed her a DNA, showed her where she came from and all this stuff, and efficacy and, you know, you know, people who related to it by DNA. And there was nothing, not a hint of anything. It was the conversation never all faltered. So that left me confused. And then two days later, the adopted father's DNA came in. And so I'd made a trip and I thought I've had two days to think about this. So I'm watching for any, anything. Again, nothing, complete poker faced. So this had me confused. I'm going, how would they not know? Mm. So then I'd read about rapid adoption. So this is going through my head. Was it a rapid adoption? You know, like I knew that. The adopted mother had had numerous miscarriages and, you know, was, you know, she was, you know, a bit neurotic, I guess. And I thought, I can imagine her there and freaking out. And they go, no, 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 here's your baby. It's fine. You know? mm. These are things because I just couldn't process it. How would they not know? And, but they did. And I told them they should have been poker players because, uh, you know, yeah, they had complete poker faces on it. They just they so had, buried was that secret. So buried yeah. that yeah, it absolutely. couldn't come up. Yeah. It's it's so buried and it's it still is. And and my daughter took the granddaughter there one day and the adopted mother went to the granddaughter. I don't know why she's so tall. We're not tall. <laughs> my daughter's sitting there thinking, what? <laughs> You're not related now, but yeah. she didn't say it, but but yeah, it's it's what they do. They they've told themselves this lie for so long that they they'll, they don't believe it in yeah. the face of, of the knowledge that they know it's not not true. I it's, think that can become bizarre. part of the narrative too. Even if if there's not been a secret, you know, I always knew, and yet even now, my mother will um, adoptive mother will say something, you know, about the kids doing something like their grandfather or, um, you know, something like that. And I'm like, yeah, but they're not, they're not blood related. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and it's almost like, she goes, oh, yes, 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 right. And so I don't know whether they've just absorbed it, that I'm there so much that, you know, for us it sticks out like a sore thumb, but for them maybe not. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. 
Yeah, no, okay. I don't know either. It's it's a it's a it's a strange area. Yeah. It's strange phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so just before you move on to um finding your mother, I just wonder how did that news when it did come out, how um has it impacted your relationships? I, I um, especially after that meeting on, on Mother's Day, and and what I was leading into was that um, I told him that I was going to meet my mother, mm. and uh, straight away the adopted mother wanted to to come with me. You know, my my mother and most my siblings lived in, in the Gold Coast, and mm. um, and I, I didn't want her to go, but I didn't know how to say it, and my. Yeah. Sister stepped forward and went, no, no, it's Peter's journey. He needs to do this alone. Yeah. And which she was absolutely right, I did. Mm-hmm. And to which my adopted mother said, but you said she had a stroke. What if she dies and I don't get to meet her? And that really crushed me because I went, hang on a minute, my father died. I didn't get to meet him. You're going to take this to your grave. You didn't care that I didn't get to meet my mother, but now you're worried that you might meet her, uh, yeah. and I, I look. I, I, I couldn't get out of there quick enough. I, yeah. you know, because um, the realization was this was not about me. Yeah, and uh, so that, that that damaged the relationship. I, I, I feel and still feel dis- disconnected to them, and um, and I don't think anything will, will make that that right. You know, it's. it's uh, you know, you know, going to the family home became um, traumatic because all those, you know, figurines and different things around the place that I'd grown up with that would have once been a mementos are now just reminders of of that lie. You know, yeah. It's, so yeah, it, it's it's it definitely affected the relationship. There's no doubt about it. I, you know, I still saw him. I. Doctor father's now deceased and my adopted mother's in a nursing home. Mm. Um, yeah, it, uh, it's, it, it was, was never, never the same. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry that I interrupted you before, but please do move on with your search for your mother. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, well, I, I, so I found my, um, found my brother and on a, on a blog and in that he revealed our mother's name and my grandmother's name and my great-grandfather's name. So I went to my tree that I built in Ancestry and looked for my great-grandfather's name and I found I found him. I wasn't sure it was him, but I added my grandmother's name and my mother's name under his and I immediately got hints, which you do in ancestry. They give you little buds come on the on their names and tells you that there is more information you know, and other people who may also have those names in their trees. And uh, and so I checked those hints, and sure enough, here's my brother had an ancestry account. He had a huge tree. It was a genealogist in his own right, <laughs> and because uh, he you know, in his tree. I saw that it was two brothers under a first marriage and a brother and two sisters under a second marriage. And when I looked closely, I realised there was a fatherless child in between. 
So I immediately knew that was me, that he knew that I existed. And uh, so I just I sent him a message and said, my, you know, my name, looking for more information about the fatherless child in his tree, my phone number. What I didn't know is that my mother had um, divulged just three weeks before of my existence to her husband of 55 years and my oldest brother. And he had promised her that he would find me. And she said, well, don't tell your siblings until you do. So when I contacted him, he knew exactly who I was. And I, I saw that he saw the message at 5 a.m. in the morning. Just after 5 p.m. that afternoon, I was on the phone speaking to him. Yeah. And uh, we spoke for an hour and a half. <laughs> and then he gave me my mother's phone number and she was waiting for my phone call. And uh, I only remember the, her first words. I don't remember the rest of the conversation. And uh, her first words were, I was forced. Oh, gosh. I, 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 I never wanted to give you up. So, uh, yeah. And... Uh, Next thing, yeah, over the next, over the, that was on a Friday night, I think, on the weekends, I was uh, I was talking to, to other siblings who, who rang me and uh, it was a shock for them too because while whilst I was talking to my mother, my oldest brother was ringing up my siblings saying, guess what, we've got another sibling and uh, one of my sisters was telling me that she uh, she wasn't home when he made that call and he told her husband, she has to call me back tonight. This is left field. It's about family, and uh, she she must call me tonight. It's it's important. So when she got on the phone, she's to my brother, her husband and her son are in the background saying, stirring her up, and going, "Oh, you got another sibling?" And she's saying, "Shut up, will you?" <laughs> <laughs> Graham's <laughs> told me something, and it's it's important. Yeah. She's I put the phone down and turned and went. I've got another sibling. And uh, so it was. It was quite a shock for them, and it I opened imagine. up a lot of wounds for them as well. Yeah, but um, they're on their flip side of that secret, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, we have a reasonably close relationship. And my oldest brother, unfortunately, he died three and a half years after I <sighs> met him, and we got pretty close. But uh, I thank and, God you got to meet him. Yeah, and my mum died in October. So yeah. I'm so sorry, Peter. Six months ago. So but yeah. I I got I got to spend the last two weeks. you know, I spent a number of times where I went to Queensland quite a bit and I stayed with her quite a bit. And uh I was with her every day over the last two weeks of her life. And uh yeah, I needed to be there and uh, she needed me to be there. Yeah. So, so I, I feel I I fulfilled that. You know, and uh, you know, there's nothing more I can do. You know, I'm sure there's questions I want answered that I never actually asked her, but um, yeah, yeah, they're in the minority. I got most of the answers I asked for. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you got my tears going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't you go because you get me to go. Well, um. So tell me a little bit more about your reunion with your mother. What did she end up sharing? She said she was forced straight away. What did she end up sharing with you about why you're adopted? 
Okay. I, I think we need to go to back to the beginning. I, I, can't, I never actually asked exactly how I was conceived or where I was conceived. I thought I was yeah. crossing the line a little bit. It is a so, tricky uh, question to ask. I, yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do know I was conceived in Canberra. Yeah. And which brings me to the revelation I had a few days ago is that I'll be travelling to the 10th anniversary at uh, Parliament House. Um, so for yeah. our listeners, um, this episode is being recorded in um, March, just before the 10th anniversary of the National Apology, but the episode itself is not coming out until NAIDOC week Sorry. Um, in July. So that's <laughs> all right. That. <laughs> so let's just give them some context so they're like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> Carry right. on. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'll be in Canberra for the 10th anniversary and I've never been to, I haven't been to the old Parliament House, I've never been to the new Parliament House, but I, I realised just a couple of days ago that I'm going to where my father lived. Yeah. Because Parliament House is built on Capitol Hill. But in the, in the, in the 50s, and I, I think the 60s, Capitol Hill was Capitol Hill migrant camp. And that's oh, where wow. my father lived. Wow. And my father was a Italian hairdresser to the politicians, including Sir Robert Menzies and uh, the opposition leader, Arthur Corwell, they were his clients. Um, so I don't know if he he did that in the Parliament House as well. I think he did. Um, but he didn't end up uh, starting a, a hairdressing uh, business with another um, migrant from the camp, um, and they started a business in Bailey's, Bailey's Arcade in, in central Canberra. Yeah. And his partner is still alive. And in 2017, I visited that premises and met his partner. That premises had a business been going since 1956. And it's still going. It's now moved to a new premises, and his sons uh, now run the business and, and daughter, I think. And yeah, there's, uh, yeah, it's known as Franco's of Canberra for anyone familiar with Canberra. It's, it's um, quite an exclusive hairdressing salon now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, and Franco invited me home to meet his his wife and. He gave me wine and he made pasta for me and, <laughs> and his wife provided me photos because my father was the um, their best man at their wedding. Oh, wow. And yeah. my, my mother asked me, he said, is his wife's name Anne? And I went, yes. And she said, I thought he would marry her. She was a diplomat's daughter. And I asked Anne, was she a, was she a diplomat's daughter? And she said, yes, she was. So, <laughs> but, but I still ring them up from time to time. Yeah. Um so yeah, I was conceived in Canberra, um, and my mother, uh, her husband had already left, you know, some years previous to to that, and uh, left her with two two children. Um, and she said she knew my father for about twelve months. Or a group of friends used to go to dances together. Uh, so they they knew each other well, and uh, I believe my father. You know, having been a men's hairdresser, wanted to become a women's hairdresser and practised on her. <laughs> she tells me he wasn't successful, but I know he went back to Italy and went to Milan and uh, studied hairdressing and he became very, very good and uh, 
made a lot, quite a lot of money out of that yeah. field. Um, but uh, yeah, she, so she was in Canberra and her mother um, wanted to, to come home to Pilliga, West New South Wales, you know, out near Walgett, Light, Lightning Ridge, um, that area. And because um, her father was dying and her mother wanted assistance with that. And uh, every time I asked my mother a question, she always gave me an answer. And she, she never faltered, never, never, you know, hesitated. And she, when I realised I was, um, she was pregnant with me at, uh, at, at Pilliga, and I, I'd known a Pilliga, and I went, oh, so I was nearly born in Pilliga. And she said, no, no, no. She said, my mother wouldn't have it. She bundled me in a car with my brother and, and told him to take me to Sydney to get rid of her. And, and that, what I know now, we can talk about it later, but um, yeah, it was my grandmother's insistence. And, uh, and, and I, I, one day I asked her, I said, how old, how, how far pregnant were you when you uh, arrived at the, at a door? She said, eight and a half months. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, that would have been a, pre, a shock. My grandfather didn't know. He was in the back room and uh, he did find out, of course, because my mother was away for so long. She was in the hospital for six weeks. She refused to leave. And uh, so yeah, he obviously started asking ask questions. And uh, my understanding is that he was horrified and, uh, you know, had he had a, a say in it, he would never allow that to happen. But, uh, yeah. He was horrified that you were adopted do you mean he was horrified that what had happened i I shouldn't have been adopted he 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 was furious my mother said so um yeah so yeah that's the story i ended up down there and um uh, you know i i thought i was with her for six weeks but you know again with speaking to her she said oh no she said i saw a glimpse of you when you're born and uh on the day that you're to be adopted they they told me to go to the nursery and uh, I'd find you on the table inside the nursery and I had to lean through the window and they told me to dress you and then go for a walk and when I come back, you'd be gone. And so it was. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, uh, yeah, we all, <laughs> I guess we all have yeah, similar stories. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, that's, that's she told me and uh, I only found out recently on my way to my mother's deathbed, I was talking to a cousin and she said, you know, your your grandmother and her siblings were all a stolen generation. And I, I didn't know that. And she said, oh, I've got all the paperwork and they're all got, you know, you know numbers that all... Um, yeah, uh, are all in sequence for all the siblings. You know, like, the, the old numbers, you know, sounds familiar. Like the, you know, yeah, dare I say, like the concentration camps where they gave everyone a number. Well, you know, they were all given a number. That was and they yeah. completely dehumanized. Yeah. Yep. And it was yep. a genocide. So, yes. Yep. yep. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that explains a lot. This explains my grandmother not wanting me and. It does explain some things, doesn't it? Like yeah. as far as 
that inherited trauma and sometimes it comes back in future generations as a repeat um even though that's probably the last thing they want that's kind of like what comes through it's not always but sometimes yeah yeah i had my when i've told my grandmother told everyone she was spanish and my mother didn't know she was aboriginal until yeah. a brother came back from New Zealand after 20 years. And I guess with, you know, the influence over there, with, you know, maybe with, with you know, being involved with Maori culture, got him thinking and uh, he came back and he said, do you think mum's Aboriginal? And she said, when she thought about it, it made sense. Yeah, because she spoke in a language sometimes so the kids couldn't understand what she was saying. And she was obviously speaking Aboriginal language. She, you know, my mother also knew some Aboriginal language that she picked up as a kid, you know, playing with other Aboriginal kids. But um, Well, it was dangerous to admit that you're Aboriginal, wasn't it? Because look what happened yeah. to her because she was. Yeah. yeah. And my mother said to her when she told her that, because my grandmother was very proud apparently that um, all her kids had blue eyes. Mm. And when my mother told her that my father was Italian, she just assumed I would have brown eyes. Yeah. So that was another reason uh, to get rid of me. But, uh, but of course, I don't have brown eyes. I have blue eyes. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure about my father's eyes. I think they're brown. But um, a lot of my Italian relatives all have blue eyes. And yeah. So um, it's, it's, it wasn't a prerequisite. That's what I was going to get. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I say so I, I guess in that regard, when I think, you know, there's that there's that link back to the stolen generation, the intergenerational trauma. Um, I mean, you had such I mean, you had so many years of a lie, and then once you open Pandora Pandora's box, it's like stuff came flying out to hit you. Like there was just so much that happened so quickly afterwards. Um, I wonder how how have you been able to connect with your Aboriginal culture since this discovery? Okay, so well, the, the number one priorities at start were I have to find my mum. Yeah. And nothing was going to stop me from finding my mum. Yeah. So it took me six weeks and I, I, I know I shouldn't, but I do feel a little bit guilty because of so many adoptees that have found that I've been searching for 40 years and haven't found their answers. And, you know, I, I feel very empathetic for them. And, yeah. uh, um, but, you know, I, I think the stars lined up for me, you know, yeah. to be able to find those things out. And um, so that was, you know, my first thing. And then the next one was, yeah, the Italian side, because yeah, I did, I, I'm, well, not religious, but I'm not Catholic. I don't know anything much about the Catholic religion, but I knew that my relations being Italian would be very Catholic, and mm-hmm. I didn't know how they would take take me. And my sister, I was in contact with. She, um, she withdrew. She, you know, she told me she was, you know, just want to withdraw and go back into a shell. And and you know, we used to have this. We still do, I think, have this ESP thing going where. I, you know, when I was communicating with her, I wouldn't hear from her for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I was frustrated, uh, never going to hear from this woman again, you know. And then out of the blue, I would get a novel, and I would quickly write a novel back 
Mm-hmm. And then wait for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks for a reply. <laughs> and, you know, and just when I've given up hope almost, I, I get contact from her. Anyway, I knew that I had two more siblings there. Yeah. And I knew one lived in Melbourne and one lived in London. And I, I, I'm starting to worry. I've got two siblings. I don't even know their names. Am I ever going to know their names? I should know their names. And, I, and I'm starting to panic again. And because I haven't heard from her for, for months. And out of the blue, just as I'm thinking about this, I get a text message. A text message says, I, I, I think you should contact your siblings. You have every right. I'll send you their details. And then nothing. And I rang her up and she answered and she said, she, she said, oh, I've had a change of heart. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm worried about cause and drama. And I said, just give me their names. I'll find them. And I did. Yeah. And um, I've I've met I've met both of them. Mm-hmm. I went to Melbourne and I I met my brother. And uh, when I saw him walk down the stairs, <laughs> I yeah I'm I'm about five foot six. I don't I don't know what he is. He's you know, over six foot. And I looked up and he went twins. but um and uh, my sister flew in from melbourne one time just just actually i i was yeah but before before all that happened i i before i contacted him i'm gonna say before i contact this is important i made a conscious decision not to contact him yet because i thought my chances would improve if I can make contact with the family and if by some chance they accept me, then I think I would have greater chance that my siblings would meet with me. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had some cousins in Sydney. I'd found them in the white pages. And I decided this day I was going to meet up with them. I was in Sydney and I thought, they're tradesmen. I'll, I'll wait until you know, after four o'clock. Anyway, I found myself in the suburb of Sydney where they were, or where one of the addresses were, and I thought, oh, I'm here now. We'll just drive past the, uh, the house. As I drive past, there's a white tradesman's van in the, in the driveway. I went, ah, oh, not at work. So I pulled up around the corner and I rang up and I answered and I went, hey, Tony, how you going, mate? And he went, I'm going good, mate, how are you? And I said, I'm going great. I said, I'm, I'm your cousin you don't know. He went, what? I said, I'm your cousin you don't know and I think we should meet. He said, where are you? I went, I'm in Bexley. He went, I'm in Bexley. <laughs> I went, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I said, I said, he said, what, but how, what? And I went, mate, long story. I said, you want to meet at your place or you want to meet at Bexley McDonald's? He said, well, where are you? I said, I'm around the corner from your place. I'm two minutes from Bexley McDonald's. He said, I'll meet your Maccas in, in five.
to make us and waited and he came in and I started to tell him the story and he went, wow, wow, I think we better sit down. <laughs> and he started to tell me that, he said, my father was very close to your father. And, and it turns out Tony was my second cousin. His father's my first cousin. And my father had brought him to Canberra when he was 16. And he lived in the migrant camp with my father. And, and my father helped get him his first start as a basically a handyman, and uh, which which led to his uh, to his lifelong career as a painter and decorator. And uh, anyway, his, that house wasn't wasn't uh, Tony's house; it was his parents' house. And he said, "Do you want to come around and meet Mum and Dad?" Oh, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I went. There might be a bit of a shock for him. And he went. Well, well, yeah, but they'll get over it. So he said, follow me around. So I've got my own trays of van. <laughs> I followed Tony around in his and he drove up the drive and I followed him up the drive. I got out and I walked up the drive into the courtyard and his father walked out of the garage in the courtyard and his mother walked out of the house into the courtyard. Yeah. And I went out and shook his father's hand. I went, buongiorno. And I shook his mum's hand. I went, buongiorno. And then they started speaking to me in Italian. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Tony goes, no, 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 he doesn't understand. So then he starts explaining in Italian who I am. And they're looking at him and they're looking at me and I'm nodding my head. Yeah, yeah, it, it's true. It's all true. Yeah. And um, anyway, his, his mum, I, I love his mum. She's, she's a gorgeous woman. She, she says... She said, you, you'll come on inside the house. You'll come on inside. And I came inside and they've got this big table. And she said, oh, you sit there, you sit there. And she said, you like a coffee? You like me make a coffee? And I went, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll have a coffee. And halfway through the coffee, she goes, no, 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 no. You want a beer. I get you a beer. <laughs> <laughs> My husband's parents, uh, sorry, grandparents came over from Italy. They were migrants. And um, nobody does hospitality like the Italians, so I've got to oh. tell you. <laughs> and yeah, family yeah. is very important. Yeah. Carry yeah. on. Sorry. No, no, that's all good. And uh, so I look just for, for everyone listening, it's, I think this is important that when you get rejection, that sometimes things can change. Mm -hmm. And my sister had been in Italy and told my, I have two surviving arts mm -hmm. and one in Italy and one in Sydney. And when she spoke to the aunt in Italy about it, she didn't want to know about it. That's when I decided to go and uh, meet meet um, Franco in, in, in Canberra because I needed to meet someone who knew my dad, you know. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, when I was at this meeting, basically they said, you know you have an aunt close by. And I went, yeah. They said, would you like to go and meet her? Yeah, I'm expecting that I'm going to get rejection because two sisters would talk. And anyway, uh, Tony's mum decides, to, she said, no, no, I'll, I'll ring. She said, we speak every day. And then she rings up there laughing and joking, Italian, and all of a sudden, nothing. So I went, uh-oh, I know, <laughs> I know what's going on here. And no, she didn't, she didn't want to meet me. But anyway... 
that you know Tony was going, she'll come round and and <laughs> Tony's dad's going, well, we'll just go around there. What's she gonna do? Kick us out, you know? <laughs> anyway, no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, you know, yeah. Anyway, a, w- a week later I, I rang back and said, just seeing how things went with when dust settles, you know, I'd been mm. away from business for a week. So and he said, It's Fabio ring. I went. Who's Fabio? And and I have a brother, Fabio. He said, "It's your auntie's. It's your cousin, your auntie's son. He's all. He's all. He's all uh, excited. He wants to meet you. Wants to take you out for dinner." Oh. <laughs> so he said, "I thought he would have rang you. Here, here's his number. You ring him." And I rang him. We got on like a house on fire, and eventually arranged for me to to uh, to go to a luncheon at his place on Easter Monday. And he said, you're in touch with your sister. And I went, yes. He said, will you ask her? He said, I, I haven't, we haven't seen her for, for such a long time. Yeah. Anyway, I, uh, I rang her and she, you know, I don't know. I, you know, yeah. It didn't sound positive. I didn't think she was going to come. About three days before she messaged me, are you still going? I went, yes. You sure it's okay for me to go? <laughs> this is your family. Yeah. yeah. Baby has asked you specifically. Oh, did I bring my husband? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, I didn't hear any more, but I arrived there and my sister and her husband were there mm-hmm. and the auntie was there. And I brought my daughter and my granddaughter. And um, yeah, but the, we, had, we had a wonderful seven and a half hours of luncheon. <laughs> And um, got on very well with everyone, got on very well with the arty and, yeah, and, yeah, I thanked her for being there. And, I mean, she was very nice to my granddaughter, you know. And uh, anyway, I I decided I was coming to Italy. I needed to go to Italy to visit my father's grave. And I'd asked a... A cousin, I'll step back a minute. The following day after this lunch, and I got a call from a woman, and her first words were, I'm going to shock you. And I said, no, you're not. You're not going to shock me. And she said, I'm your cousin. I was your father's apprentice. I owe everything I have in my life to your father. So she said, I didn't know the luncheon was on. We'll have another lunch in my place next week. So it was another seven and a half hours. <laughs> 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 and a whole heap of other cousins. <laughs> yep. And anyway, we we keep in contact. And I was going to Italy and I said, look, I'm a bit worried. You know, it's in Calabria down south. And I know the further south you get, the less English is spoken. And I'm going in this little village and, yeah, I don't speak the language and no one knows who I am. And she said... No, 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 no. She said, you knock on the first door you come to. They'll know who you are. She said, in fact, if you see some kids playing the street, go up to them. They'll know who you are. Wow. And she was right. I arrived in this village. I, I did get a guided tour, and I'll explain it later. But I arrived in this village, and 
I just felt at peace. I understood immediately why my father had gone back there to die. My father knew he was dying. He had cancer. He had mm-hmm. about five years. And he went back there to be with family. And mm-hmm. I got it. It's And he was, they were right. Everyone in that village knows everyone. And I was telling this story to someone else and another Aboriginal um, man, and uh, it occurred to me, this was mob. Mm -hmm. This was his mob. And he was going home to be with his mob. And, yeah, uh, yeah, that was, you know, quite profound, that realisation that that's what this was. But uh, just before I headed there, I got a phone call from or a message from another woman wanted contact. And she was the daughter-in-law of the aunt in Italy. Yes. And she said, you're going back to that village? I went, yes. She said, you're going to see your aunt when you get there, aren't you? And I'm thinking, does she want to see me? She said she'd be most upset to know that you went to that village and didn't go and see her. Oh, wow. And, uh, well, as it turns out, the day I turned up, um, yeah, she was at the luncheon, but I am. Yeah, we got on fabulously. She got very um, frustrated with the fact I couldn't speak English. I think she had wanted to tell me so much stuff and you know, Italian. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. but she kept telling, kept saying to me, "Nouveau Napoli, Nouveau Napoli," which means new nephew, new nephew. No. And uh, so when we did, we went back to that village a number of times over a, a, a week period, and. Um, Every time I went there, if she wasn't the luncheon, I would make sure I went to her house and and visit her, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. So, you know, things can change, you know. Yeah. Perceptions can change and, you know, like, and, you know sometimes you can't have a you know, great relationship with people and, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And sometimes we're so focused on just the, um, you know, mother-father relationship. Sometimes there's some to be had in the extended family. And like you said, no doesn't always remain a no. And sometimes it's just a matter of adjusting our expectations. And and also I have to say, Peter, like from the moment we first spoke, uh, which wasn't that long ago, um, you, there's a shining light in you. There's a, there's a warmth that comes out. And I can imagine that when people even if it's just a phone call or um, or meeting you face to face for the first time, you draw people in. So I can't. I think you would be very difficult to meet and um, and not welcome because that is part of you, and it's probably part of that genetic, you know, Italian and Aboriginal culture that comes through you. I think. Yeah. Well, they. I was talking to another cousin from Melbourne and. Uh... His father was my father's older brother and mm-hmm. basically like a mentor. And he said to me, your father was a socialite. Mm-hmm. He said, it wasn't just a hairdresser, he was a socialite. And I can't divulge my sister in in London, but I can say she's a socialite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't come as any surprise. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's... Um, I've got a little funny story when I, when I went and saw that art one day because they always say why are you why why are you staying in a bed and breakfast why are you not stay here you know yeah and and we called in there one day and we were on our way 
to a dinner at another cousin's place in another village. And we, I wanted to go back to the bed and breakfast and freshen up. And she was, no, you, you, you should freshen up here, you know. And, you know, I have another nephew and he come here and stays and you know, all this. And I'm there with a, there was a young girl, another, you know, a second cousin of mine, I guess. And, and she could speak a little bit English and she was translated for me. And I, my sense of humor, I said, ask her if I can borrow a toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she cracked up and she went, I can't ask her that. <laughs> Hers would be fine. I'll wash it. But I think they, they got my sense of humor and uh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 yeah. I, yeah, lots of stories got back to Australia before I did. And uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I went and visited my father's grave. They, they took me and showed me his grave. And I, I came back alone twice. And I wrote a poem, eight pages of poem. It's, it's out there, internet somewhere, you know. Adoption is such a lie. And it's basically my story. I had to get it out. I, mm -hmm. I couldn't put two rhyming sentences together at school, but I, I I was coming home one day and I went, I've, just, I've got to get this out and I've got to put in a poem and it's got to be rhyming and I've got to do it tonight. And I did. I wrote it in one session. And uh, anyway, I took that poem with me and... I, I went back to his grave, but before I went back, I, I, I went to the florist and got flowers because my father's, you know, they're above ground and they, um, what do they call them? Um, yeah, above ground tomb thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. mausoleum. Mausoleum, that's mausoleum? what I was yeah. thinking, yeah. Yeah. And his, <laughs> his mother and father are above him and his sister's beside him. So there's mm -hmm. four of them. All there. And I, anyway, I brought flowers and I also... You know, at the bed and breakfast where I was staying, he was another distant cousin, <laughs> and he grew he grew up in uh, in in Canada, and he was a property developer or something. And he, anyway, he came back to the village and built this beautiful big house as a bed and breakfast. And um, so I asked him, you know, like I don't know, you know, where do you buy these candles and things? Because you know, there's a little chapel there, you know. And he, he told me, yeah, again from the supermarket. So I somehow. Got the uh, the checkout girl to understand what I wanted, and I got some matches and candles. And anyway, I went back, and I sat in front of the graves, and I I read my poem to him, and because uh, I got quite emotional through it. And I just uh, I just finished it, and these two Italian women walked around the corner. They must have heard me, and we're investigating what they were hearing. It was unusual, and. Uh, and I pointed the grave and I went, you know, mio padre, you know, my father. And they looked at the name and they told me where he came from, <laughs> you know, because this, you know, the, this cemetery central was, you know, it's, it's in yeah. between villages. And they went, oh, yeah, there's difference. They, they knew everyone. Everyone yeah. knows everyone around that area, knows their names and stuff, you know. And it's a little bit like the Aboriginal community too. Everything goes on surname, you know. Yeah. So as you know, yeah, what's your mob? As soon as you mention your surname, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, and they'll know someone in that surname, you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, absolutely loved Italy. It's an yeah. amazing place. Yeah, we hope to go there one day and, and visit the relatives, I guess. Right. Um, yeah, I know my father-in-law went back. Take as long a time as you can possibly do it. Yeah. 
because um, yeah, I think you can go back there a hundred times and still not see everything. We were there for six weeks. We drove around from top to bottom to Sicily and back up here side of Venice, and you know, and we 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 were supposed to go on COVID, but you know, luckily I didn't buy the tickets. I was a bit concerned about what this COVID thing might mm-hmm. evolve into. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, still very much some plans to go back. But, uh, but yeah, back to the Aboriginal side. <laughs> well, I was just going to say too. I love that you. Um, so you might be a latecomer to knowing that your adoption, but um, in a space of a few years, you managed to do something that took me kind of fifty-one years to do, which is like really connect in that deep way with. We've heard about the Italian culture and your father and visiting that grave. And I, that's something I only just did, you know, last year in Sydney. Um, and it was incredibly changing, life-changing for me having done that. Um, so you, you really pulled that one out well. And I can see that it really has connected you. Yeah, well, that was 2018, but yeah. Yeah, yeah it's I, not that long ago. Yeah, and I, I did, I did, I, 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 those candles, I did go to the chapel and I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I, yeah. I, I, I thought that that's something my father would want me to do. It's a ceremony that you did mm. and it meant something to you and it connected mm. you and that's important. Yeah. 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 And okay. I, I did, that, did that twice. I went back again, <laughs> looking at myself, I've got to, you know, I've only got a limited time here. I've got, yeah. I, I basically, I promised him I would come back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I I promise we'll come back again. It, um, yeah, so the Italian side, uh, sorry, the Aboriginal side, um, yeah. I've now had, you know, time I've, I've reunited with my 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 mother and my siblings and on my father's side and, you know, so now I had time to sit back and, you know, and, and I have done activism with, you know, Aboriginal group in, 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 in Sydney, you know, um, the grandmothers against removals. I got to know them quite well, and I was asked to to, to speak at a, you know, the 12th anniversary of the Stolen Generation um, rally, and uh, you know, stood out in front of New South Wales Parliament House and pointed back towards them and said, "The house of lies and deception behind me." You know, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I had a bit of in, bit of involvement. And you know, involvement with some of the local community that are, you know, my my son's best mate was Aboriginal, and you know, I got to know his family a little bit, and and my son-in-law is an Aboriginal liaison officer at the, the local high schools, and uh, mm-hmm. he asked me, he said, "Do you want to get your confirmation?" And I went, "Oh yeah," and he said, "I'll give you the name of number of an elder." He said, "Go and ring him up." He said, go and have a coffee with him and tell him the story. And so I did that and he gave me an application form for a confirmation and told him, you know, to get all this stuff together and and then go to the elders meeting. So I did that. I went to the elders meeting and they had all my information. I stood up and I told them my story. And anyway, they asked me to wait outside while they made a decision and they called me back in and they they said, well, you've got your confirmation, but we would also like to ask you to apply to be an elder. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. and I I was flabbergasted. <laughs> I, went, I, was, I wasn't expecting that at all. And they said, we want you to fill the form out now. <laughs> 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 I 
And they said, you are over 50. I went, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I joined the elders group. Oh, I love this story. Yeah, and, keep going. And six months down the track in December, um, because I find myself going to all these, um, yeah, 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 NADOC school days and all that sort of stuff and, mm-hmm. yeah, other flag-raising events and different things. And uh, anyway, come December, they do have the AGM and uh, and the secretary resigned. And they, they nominated me from the floor. And I went, no, I said, I'm the worst, you know, minutes taker you're ever going to find. And they went, but will you do it? How, how, how do I say no? Yeah, I can't. Uh, of course, yeah, of course I'll do it. So I now find myself on the secretary. <laughs> <laughs> and we had uh, had a couple of people coming in for confirmations on that day. And uh, and they said, oh, before you go, there's secretary, you've got to count us on the confirmations. <laughs> and now I <laughs> you know, signing confirmations, you know, like it's just... I I could Full never see any of that happening, you know. It's just, you know, you go back six years and if you'd told me six years ago all this stuff, I would never believe that, you know. That embrace yeah. from the community though, even like for me, it's being embraced into the adoption community through my work with Jigsaw, you know, becoming part of something is just yeah. so important. I mean, because you can become you may get to reunite with your family and you may get to, you know, connect with your culture that way. But also we are a community, you know, and you're just like your Aboriginal community is one that you can, being embraced in that way is really important. Yeah, it's, and, and it's mm. it's been hard to accept. Like, you know, last NADOC, they had a NADOC ball I went to and they said, oh, you know, I'll just get up and get your photos taken. And I was there with someone else from it was also it says, uh, style and generation. And we know how we, we, we it's, it's hard to accept that you'd be accepted. Mm. And we didn't stand up. I sort of regret not standing up, but at the same time, we weren't ready. Mm. We, we weren't in that space. And I don't, I can't speak for for them now, but I, you know, mm. I think it might be different. But I am ready now to stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I needed to go through that process. And, you know, I, I couldn't just. I couldn't just accept it from day one. I, I just think that was um, a bit brash of me to to to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I remember one of the elders said to me, he said, did you get on with your photo? I went, no. I said, well, you know, I don't feel, you know, no one knows me. And he said, they wouldn't care. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. And, uh, you know, I said, well, yeah, I, I guess you're right, but, yeah. Maybe that's part of the adoption thing mm. that lingers with us, you know, not feeling like for years I didn't feel like I could own my ancestors or own pieces of their stuff, you know, or their photos mm. or that I, they belonged to me. And that trip to Sydney that I had changed all of that for me where I felt like I I owned them as much as they owned me and that that was mm. as much mine as it was anyone else's. Oh. Yeah. I think my acceptance, because you know, I look at, okay, my grandmother was was Stalin generation, mm. and her father got got the kids back. You know, he was white, mm-hmm. and and he got the kids back out of out of out of, out of the um, the missions. I, I'm not sure how he did that, but he managed to get them out. Mm-hmm. 
but I think he was much a part of the problem as well. He's a, um, I believe he was quite a hard guy, but he's, he was quite a complex person, I think, from what I read. Yeah. Um, and he, so he had an influence on that as well as, you know, going to, you know, you know declaring Aboriginal and whatnot. And I, I, I think that it's disrespect to my great-grandmother that I didn't mm. accept it. And, and I, I think it's just my role to, to, um, to, to identify. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be disrespectful to her if I didn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had some siblings who, who are now exploring it and, you know, a, a nephew, yeah, he's he's yeah, identifies and uh, and yeah, he he he's his partner's Aboriginal, you know. So, yeah. um, yeah, and and it's a journey of ours. I, I think uh, he reaches out to me, you know, uh, for information. So I'm I'm helping him on on his journey as a family history and and where we all fit in and whatnot. And so uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's all part of the journey. It's uh, yeah, it's it's. I gotta say, it, it's 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 the highs. I, I think of, of this, you know, and yeah, you know, I I grew up in a in a typical Anglo-Saxon, you know, dare I say, you know, bigoted, yeah, you know, race racist family. You know, not they were they would never have said they were racist, but. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, those so those things are ingrained, and they're ingrained into me too. And you know, and I, I think maybe sometimes that's part of the thing too. Is you know, go, am I a hypocrite? No. You know, yeah. Any anyway, anyone can ac- accept that they're wrong. Yeah. And 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 change their their thinking. And uh, we're all on know. a journey in this life, aren't we, Peter? Of, of learning, you know, of education, of of knowing better. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Uh, no one's got no one's got the answers at any yeah, you know, all the answers at any one time. And uh mm. you know, you know you dealing with kids, you know, because there's uh, lots of foster kids and kids and, and you can look back at them now and you go, Yeah, they all know everything. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't be too critical because we all knew everything too. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> And, My kids uh, might say, I still know everything, but I know that I don't know everything, so maybe I don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's it. We, what we know is we know we don't know everything, yeah. and, and that makes us different. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, this is unfolding the same, you know, this, this minefield of, you know, walking through the adoption and mothers are lost community, you know, with differing views and experiences and traumas and, you know. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's it's a difficult path to to navigate at times, and you know, language is everything. And uh, you know, what's okay for one is not okay for another. And you know, um, yeah, it's yeah, it, it's a test to this point diplomacy. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Um. I guess this is my final question for you then, Peter, is what does the future hold for you? Um, I, the future for me, I, I guess, and I'm still try, striving to 
to, to change the narrative, um, to, you know, to, to stop the invalidation, you know, and that invalidation is, you know, whether that be in community expectations or perceptions or, or media or you know, invalidation through, through legislation, you know, um, you know, fighting for, for our human rights, which, you know, I think we we have a we have a right to and we have a right to fight for and mm -hmm. um, yeah I I think I think that's you know I'll, I know this is a this journey will continue on long after you know this fight will continue long after I'm gone but you know I, I really feel we're making traction um, we're getting in roads we're you know we're, we're talking to more and more journalists and. Um, yeah, I think I think we're getting heard. Yeah, you know, not not as quick as we want, mm -hmm. and you know, we're not getting the concrete action, action that we want. Um, you know, I don't want to hear sorry. I, I want to hear we're outraged that this happened, mm -hmm. and I think we should be all outraged that it happened, and I think the legislators should be outraged that it happened. There should be outrages in their legislation. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I think we're slowly getting a voice. And uh, yeah, I yeah, obviously I get critics to say, "Well, you, you don't speak for all adoptees." And I think, "Well, no, I don't." But I do speak for the ones who who can't speak for themselves, and I, I know that's many. Um, yeah, someone's someone's got to you know be out there. And I, you know, I never wanted to be the front person or the spokesperson. I don't. I don't. I don't um, crave the media attention, but if I don't do it, who else is going to do it? You know, I'm happy for someone else to step up. Um, I want more people to step up. You know, and they, we need variety. We need multi. We need, need a multitude of voices stepping up. You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. We, we we need support, and uh, you know, I think yeah, we need we need more people to to step up and support the rest of us yeah so, so that, that's my future moving forward i think yeah. encouraging people peter that's a great note to um end on and i thank you so very much for sharing your story with us um i don't know how long we've gone for i might have to split it in two and i i will rather than cut anything out because i just enjoyed speaking with you so much and hearing your story um and we'll be putting relevant links up um including to adoptee rights australia website and i hope you'll send me a link for your poem um so that we can put that up for people to have a look at as well um but again thank you so much i know listening to your episode is going to help a lot of people there's a lot of people who are going to be able to identify it or just learn from hearing it so thank you no thank thank you so much Rob. I've very much enjoyed being here. Meanwhile, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the uh, prospective guest form that you'll find there. And note that a doc perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website 
If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.